Derek, it's a lovely day for the greatest movie of all time. Today on the podcast, The Exorcist. Welcome, everybody, to the Greatest Movie of All Time podcast, the podcast in which I, your co-host, Rick Barrasso, and I, your co-host, Derek Smith, are going to watch every movie ever made in the history of cinema. Ever. Ever. Every single one. And we are going to help determine which movie is the greatest movie of all time. Last week, we had uh, our first guest on the podcast, Steve Constantino. Derek, your bandmate. Uh, and and we did Pulp Fiction. I think that was probably my favorite one yet. Wouldn't you agree? I agree with that. Absolutely. Yep. It was a lot of fun. If you haven't seen uh, or haven't uh, listened to that one or any of our episodes, go back and check them out. They're all uh, available in our, in our archives, and they're all lots of fun. So check it out. We get some great ones out there. But today is a a special occasion because it's our first annual Halloween scare-tacular episode. Spooktacular. Spooktacular. I think that might be proprietary to another podcast, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold off on that one. But yeah, we, we're gonna watch. You know, I mean, appropriately on this uh, cold and dreary night uh, that that we are recording in the late October, we are gonna do one of the all-time classic horror movies. Derek, what movie did we decide on today? We are doing the infamous Exorcist. Some say it is the scariest movie of all time. And we'll talk about that. The Exorcist, uh, it's a 1973. It's a, it's a, I feel pretty comfortable calling it a classic. Uh, it's directed by uh, William Friedkin. It stars uh, Ellen Burstyn as Chris McNeil, Linda Blair as Reagan McNeil, Jason Miller as Father Damien Karras, Max von Sydow as Father Lancaster Marin, and Lee J. Cobb as William Kinderman. Uh, tremendous cast. Yeah, this movie has an 8 out of 10 on the Internet Movie Database, 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's got 81% on Metacritic. Derek, tell me about your history with this movie, The Exorcist. When did you first see it? Yeah, what, what's your yeah what, what, what's your your take coming into this? So I want to say it was I don't know maybe seven or eight years ago, maybe maybe longer. Um, it was a, it, within the first few years that I was dating Gia before we got married, and she was like, "Oh, my mom wants to know if we want to go over and watch The Exorcist." And I had never seen it before, and Gia had seen it when she was, she was a kid. <laughs> and uh, I was like, all right, it was an October night, just like, just like this. I went over there, you know, I was driving over there to Lynn, and the, uh, the, the, the leaves were rustling, and they were changing colors. It was definitely a crisp October night. We watched it. It, it, it terrified me a bit. And that night, me and Gia went back to our home at the time in August, and I was sleeping, and at 3 in the morning on the dot, unfamiliar cell phone went off <laughs> and I never heard the ringtone in my entire life and it scared the absolute shit out of me. I tried to get Gia up. I was like, you know, the, the psst, psst. And I was like, I heard a phone and I'm scared. And she was like, okay, go back to bed. Clearly she's the male in the family. <laughs> um, and that's my experience. I've seen it about four times since then, maybe three, three or four times. And uh, it's definitely one of my favorite horror movies of all time. Yeah, it's great. I think it works on a level and we'll talk about this more where it really does stick with you. It's it's not meant. It's not a jump scare movie, really. Thank uh, God, because I don't. I, I I love these types of movies where you have. Yeah. It, it just. It, I like the disturbing type of movies. Yeah, 
And we'll talk about, I think, why it is is, uh, a bit more disturbing later on in in the podcast than most horror movies where you might think, where it just sticks with you. Uh, I myself, I I first saw it, I was probably 15. Uh, I had some friends uh, staying in my house. We rented a bunch of movies from the dearly departed Hollywood video, and this was among them. And it, it really... I'm I'm glad I watched it as a teenage boy trying to be uh, be tough in front of my friends instead of alone. Uh, <laughs> so it is a it's a, it is a frightening movie. Uh, I don't know if it's the scariest movie of all time, but it it it's up there. And I you, I, you know just to cut you off real quick, it's it's all about what scares you. Yeah. Um, because I know a lot of people who are like, "What? That's so cheesy," and then yeah. other people will be like, "What are you nuts? It's so disturbed." It just—it's just what you're you're into, what scares you. So it's it's hard to it's hard to say what the great you know the serious movie is. It all depends on yeah. preference, I guess. Yeah, the, this movie I feel very much depends on how you were brought up, how you see it. Right. I, I mean, you and I had a, had a pretty similar upbringing, and had some of the same. I mean, I was I was you know raised Catholic. I went to CCD, and and you know I I saw when I see the, you know, the statues defiled and stuff like that, it's like, Oh, well that looks like a statue that I saw a lot as a kid. And it, it maybe hit deeper for, for me and for, for people who had that type of upbringing that rather than, you know, people who, who didn't necessarily have that sort of pomp you, and circumstance. Yeah. You, you say you, exactly. You say it stays with you. And I'm going to be honest, that scene you just mentioned it's that scene, I think, in general, just is the one that stayed with me the most. I just could not stop thinking about the way that looked. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very disturbing to me. And, and I would say for me, when I first saw it, and, and probably even now, and it's, it is sort of subtle almost, that just right. the frame of the, the demon's face in, in the dream that, that Karis is having. And right. Right. Yeah. You know, it, and it's funny and I'm going to say this just because I feel like it's, it needs to be said. I'm actually not a religious person at all. And it still made me like, you know, seeing that statue mm-hmm. uh, in, the, in the church defiled, like that was just, right. I couldn't get out of my brain. I just couldn't. Right. I, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a, a religious person, but I had that, that upbringing, you know, I had that right, right. drilled into me and that's, that's where it sort of stays, you know. Yeah, you know, let's let's get started. Let's let's talk about what happens in the movie, and we'll, we'll you know as we do every uh, every week or every episode, I should say, uh, and and you know sort of uh, talk about talk about the movie as it as it goes. Now uh, we we open up on a uh, it's a suburban house. It looks like, and, and you know, we learn to be. Georgetown uh, College near Washington, D.C. The lights go out in the house and we're slowly panning across the street and we fade into black on a statue of the Virgin Mary. And suddenly, you forget this part, suddenly we're in Iraq. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, compared to the rest of the movie, to me it's pretty out of place, but we're in Iraq. I actually forgot about this, and then I every watched it again, time. and I was like, I don't remember this starting in Iraq. Yeah, every time. And by the way, we are watching the uh, the extended edition, uh, mm. for, for those of you that don't know. So if we're talking about uh, parts that you may not remember, check out the uh, the director's cut. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So we're in Iraq, and there appears to be some kind of archaeological dig happening. 
young man is sprinting across the dig site and he catches the attention of an older man. He's down on his knees and he's helping take part in this dig. This is, this is Father Lancaster Marin. Uh, boy tells him that they, they found something and leads him to it. And they found some small trinkets, but Marin digs further and finds some small icon. And you can tell it just makes his blood run cold. And they've made prequels about this. It's it's they're probably. I mean, we'll we'll talk about them because we are going to be watching every single movie ever made. But uh, I would say this one is by far the uh, the best of the Exorcist series. Derek, you recently watched the sequels. Uh, I did. <laughs> what were your What were your thoughts? Well, uh, let's see. The Exorcist Two, The Heretic, is probably one of the worst films I've ever seen. It is um, truly it's pretty. Awful. It's, it's pretty horrible, and. Um, and it's what's funny about this movie, uh, the, the second one, is that all of the people, all of the critics who did not like The Exorcist liked The Heretic. And it bothered me so much because I, I always read the trivia after any movie I watch on IMDb. Yeah. And I go on Wikipedia and I look it up and all the critics that hated that, The Exorcist like, well, this one was better because of this reason. And I was like, you're wrong. There is um, no legitimate case that can be made that The Exorcist 2 is the better movie. Agreed, agreed. That's the worst out of the, at least the first three that I've seen. The third one was be- definitely better than the second one. It, de- it definitely had its problems and what could- was a bit confusing at the end, but um, I did like elements of it. Yeah, I liked I liked the third one. Uh, did you watch the uh, the the prequel with um, Stellan Starsguard? You know or what? I did, excuse me. I, I did. I remember seeing it in my old Stoneham apartment. I remember watching that movie during the day, and I remember kind of like being into it, but I can't recollect any anything from it whatsoever. So I'm gonna definitely do a rewatch. It's it's okay. It's not as bad as two. It's it's. I would say three is definitely the best Exorcist sequel, but conversation for another day. So we're yeah with Marin, he's he's looking at this trinket, and later on is, is he's at a restaurant and he's washing some pills down with some sort of booze, and he seems just worn out and defeated. And he tells a colleague that he's going to be traveling to achieve some goal. So he then goes to through the alleys of what is only identified as Northern Iraq. (laughs) Uh, Is it a city? Is it a town? Who knows? And he goes to what looks like an old temple and is guarded by armed men. And he looks at the statue of what appears to be a demon. And he looks like he's just coming to a, like a horrifying revelation. And then we're across the world and we're back in what we learned to be Georgetown near Washington, D.C., a woman, an actress, Chris McNeil, is memorizing lines, and she's distracted by a noise. She looks up at her, the door to her attic, and she comes to the conclusion that it's it's probably rats. Uh, her daughter, Reagan, is asleep, but the big window in her room is wide open. She closes it and kisses Reagan goodnight. The next morning, she tells the help, to give you an idea, uh, they're, they're pretty well off, that hmm. you know, she thinks there's, there's probably rats. And later on a movie set, and Chris is complaining about the script to Burke, her director. And a priest, Father Damien Karras, is looking on. And they shoot a scene. Chris is yelling at some protesters. I, I didn't quite understand this. Like, what, what, I don't know what this character's point was. I'm, I'm actually very interested to see this movie that she was shooting. <laughs> Because she's, she later on, she, she comes home and she talks to Sharon, who I think is her nanny. Yeah. And, and she describes it as the Walt Disney version of the Ho Chi Minh story. Yeah, I was kind of confused by that. But. Yeah. Now, let's, 
I'm sure at, at this point, if you haven't seen the movie, and if you haven't, go see it. What are you waiting for? Right. Not much action, really. But this movie takes its time and builds and builds and builds. And yeah, we'll get to the climax, and it's just intense. Yeah, at, at this point, Sharon is, is telling Chris, oh, she's been invited to the White House. So we, this is a big-name actress This is in this, in this world. Chris McNeil is, is, a, is a very famous person. And then Reagan shows up, and she explains she saw a horse earlier, and she wants to, to buy one. And this, I feel like, this is establishing Reagan as just a completely typical girl. Nothing unusual. She likes horses. So it really, it sounds like Tom Petty's describing in her song. Um, <laughs> and, and then we see, we go back to, to Father Karras. He's catching a train and the station looks grimy and gross. And a homeless man asks him for money. And he's traveling to what looks like an absolute slum compared to the McNeil house. Uh, the pictures on the wall depict him as a, as a boy and you see him as a boxer. And he goes to the other room and he sees his mother and he, he tends to some leg injury that she's, she sustained somehow. And they're arguing about whether or not his mother should move from this upstairs apartment. And here's on this rewatch, here's sort of what I noticed this movie. I feel like the message is the philosophy behind the, the movie, no matter who you are, you can be, Karis, who comes from, I mean, not quite squalor, but he's not, he's not a rich man by any, any sense, even before he took his vow of poverty as a priest. Or you could be the McNeils, who are just one percenters, to use today's parlance. And it doesn't matter, because evil is coming for you either way. Mm-hmm. So we're we're back to the the McNeil house and and Chris discovers a, a Ouija board and uh, and Reagan shows her how to use it, revealing she's been communicating with a spirit called Captain Howdy, and the spirit refuses to emerge with with Chris around at least at this point. And Reagan being put to bed, she's asking her mother about a guy she's seeing, about a guy the mother is seeing, and it's right. it's almost like she knows more about her mother's feelings than, than she's letting on. So I, I think at this point, the, the demon had already, already maybe shown her things. Right. I got that. Th- I got that idea too. I was, I felt like it was already there. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, it seems like there's nothing wrong, but it's already too late. Karis is out uh, drinking with another priest. And this, this is where I was like, this is really like, oh, you couldn't make this movie now because priests are just inherently untrustworthy at this point. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and I don't laugh because of, you know, I, I laugh because you're right. Yeah. Like it's, For no other reason. Yeah. It's like the, the scene coming up with the doctor is like, maybe she should go talk to a priest. And so imagine in 2020, a doctor being like, yeah, go talk to a priest. Right. Loses the license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Karis is out drinking with another priest and he's, he's requesting a transfer. His mother's too far away. It's not the right assignment for him. He's, he's lost his faith, really. Yeah, he's, this is just a job to him, it feels like, at this point. And then we're back. Chris is on the phone. Reagan's father hasn't called on, her, on Reagan's birthday. Later, Chris is awoken in the night by a phone call and she finds Reagan is sleeping next to her. 
and she tells Chris that her bed was shaking. She goes to the attic because she, for some reason, believes that the, the rats are causing Reagan's bed to shake, and but she doesn't find anything. And her candle sort of like shoots up, the flame shoots up, and Carl, her, her butler, I think her butler, uh, or her handyman or something, uh, comes up to confirm that there are indeed no rats. Nearby at a church, we talked about this a little bit earlier, a priest finds that their statue of Mary has been defaced. It's got, like, I think it was, like, traffic cones. Looks like maybe traffic cones that were, you know, just placed on her in sort of, like, a vulgar way. It, it, I, when I first started, I didn't know what they were. I, could, I just, yeah. I, I thought they were, like, horns or something. Like, I didn't really understand it. it. It was just disturbing to me, and I didn't even, like, take the time to be like, what are those? I was like, oh, yeah. I don't want to see that again. <laughs> yeah. So later on, Reagan is getting blood drawn, and there's just tests being done to her to determine the cause of this weird behavior. The, the, the bed shaking. She's rude to the doctor and is generally not handling this well. The doctor talking to Chris is like, oh, whatever this is, it's probably causing the swearing too. And Chris is sort of like, what are you talking about? She doesn't swear. Uh, and what, what is the, what is she, the, the doctor says she called her, calls him like uh, language warning for the rest of this episode, by the way, called him like, stay away from my cunt or something like that. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, she could never say that. And it's like, well, she did. Yep, <laughs> and we laugh, and it gets worse. So uh, <laughs> elsewhere, Karras is he's like running into what we learn is like an asylum. His uncle is there, and he's explaining they had to rush his mother there. She seems to have had like a psychotic break, and this this place is bad. And she wants to get out, but what I mean, what are they going to do? They're they're poor. They're just kind of throwing her into wherever will take her and wherever can right possibly take care of her but this is just an awful place and yeah we see Karis taking out on a punching bag and there's a party at the McNeil's and everyone's drinking having a good time Burke is bothering Carl and saying he's a Nazi yep so I mean later on when Burke dies I feel like Carl should be the number one suspect yeah for sure (laughs) yeah so Chris is asking Chris had seen Father Karis as she walked home uh, from from her movie shoot, and the the priest that she's talking to is saying that uh, he's the the psychologist or the psychiatrist for the priests on on the campus, and that you know unfortunately Damien's mother died the previous night. Before we can dig into that, you know, really much more, Burke and Carl get into a fight. We we cut forward. I don't know why Burke wasn't kicked out immediately after that, but later on, Reagan is asleep, and Burke is sort of, like, drunkenly stumbling out of the party. And the remaining guests are, like, crowding around a, a piano and singing. Derek, question for you. Yeah. I have never been to a party where everyone at the end of the party was drinking and singing <laughs> around a piano. You and your family are much more musical than me and mine. Has this ever been something you've experienced? <laughs> Not in the traditional sense. Like it, it, in the past, maybe my mom was like, oh, let me go to the piano and play something because I'm a piano <laughs> teacher. And then like everyone would uncomfortably listen. <laughs> Just and being polite. she'd be like, Derek, come here and start singing with me. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and it may happen, but not not in the traditional sense. I, I feel like that just doesn't happen anymore. Or maybe it just happens in movies. I'm not really sure. 
I I read once that people did actually sing more in like up to like the early early twentieth century, mm-hmm. but uh, it's since fallen out of favor. <laughs> yeah, all these guests are like crowding around the piano and they're singing. And the priest there saying, oh, you know, I, you know it, heaven to me is it's a concert hall and sold out every night. I'm the headliner. <laughs> so uh, then Reagan comes downstairs and looks at one of the guests, tells them that they're going to die up there and proceeds to pee on the carpet. And yeah, Chris, no, no, normal, normal shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great way to end a party. So Chris gives Reagan a bath. And she's at first she's silent about what happened, Reagan. And, you know, as she is being put back to bed, Reagan asks, you know, what, what's wrong with me? And Chris says, oh, it's just nerves. But yeah, you can tell she's sort of concerned that it's something, something more. And as she's leaving the room, she goes downstairs and Reagan starts screaming. And we go there and, and Reagan's bed is j- jumping up and down off the ground. And Chris jumps on it with her and it's still going up and down, going crazy. Later, the priest from the party, Father Dyer, uh, goes to Karis's room and consoles him over his mother's death. Damien sleeps, but dreams. His mother, there's a black dog. There's the flash of this terrifying face of this demon. And we smash cut to Reagan screaming. And they're still trying to figure out what's wrong with her, and she's refusing a shot, and she calls the doctor a fucking bastard. And then we see Damien giving mass. And then Chris is worried over Reagan. And we're jumping back and forth. These characters are going to be intertwined. And we're seeing in the editing that even before they meet, and they meet relatively late in the movie, Karis and the, and the McNeils. Yep. But they're, the editing is showing how connected these, these people are already. And the doctor now believes there's, there's like a brain lesion that's causing Reagan's outbursts and the bed shaking must've been some kind of spasm. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah clearly, clearly that's a spasm. Clearly. Well, they weren't there to see it. They weren't there to see it. I mean, it, they wouldn't have the words to say it was bouncing up and down like a car with hydraulics, but that's what it was. Right. And they give her some medical testing. And of course it comes back negative. And Chris calls the doctor to the house. Doctor. They, 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 they put the needle in her neck. Yes, yes. Right. That part's uh, effed up, too. Apparently, that was, like, a legitimate, like, thing they just did. Yeah, I like, read that. Was that. Like, that was like, actually real thing. I thought I it was there they, for shock, but it wasn't. And, yeah. and when I say they, I mean, like, they did that to the actress on set. Really? Yeah. Which today would be, like, everyone would be put in jail for, like, literally doing an unnecessary medical treatment on a teenage actress. Right. Like, a young teenage actress. And so all the tests are coming back negative. The doctor and a, and a specialist are talking about it. And they, this is later on as the results sort of come back. And they get they get a call from Chris. And they're saying, yo, come to the house, come to the house. Reagan's entire body is like spasming up and down. And it, like just her body, not the bed at all. And she roars in like a demonic voice. She exposes herself to all of them and demands that they fuck her. And scratches appear in her face without her hand going up there or anyone's hand going there. And they have to basically knock her out with, a, with an injection. Mm-hmm. And the doctors are, are 
at a total loss to explain this behavior. And Chris thinks, oh, it's going to be some kind of psychiatric issue. And the doctor's saying, oh, no, we got to do further tests. We got to rule everything out, including let's do a spinal tap. And again, none of these tests are you know, turning anything up. And Chris is beside herself at this point. And the doctor suggests, oh, there might be, you know, are, are there any drugs in the house or anything like that? And Chris says she doesn't have any in the house. So the doctor at this point concedes, yeah, we maybe need to get a psychiatrist. And this is where the movie sort of takes a turn because when, when Chris gets home, we see ambulances near her house and the lights right. are flickering on and off as she enters. And she gets a phone call with nobody in the line. And she goes to Reagan's room and that window is wide open again. And it's so cold in the room that she can see her breath. There's nobody else there. Sharon comes in just a minute later and tells Chris that Burke was there when she left. She went to get more Thorazine for Reagan and Burke's gone now. Chuck, one of the party guests comes in with the news that, that Burke has died and he apparently had drunkenly fallen down the, the stairs uh, outside of the house and that's it broke his neck and that's the reasons why the ambulances were there and everyone is, is shocked chuck leaves and then chris looks up to her own stairs inside the house and sees the infamous spider walk yep. where reagan is completely bent over backwards her hands touching the ground and she vomits blood right you know i, I guess we can probably talk about this early but I, I, I'm supporting the director's choice to not put that in the movie because I thought it was too early for that to happen. That's what I thought as well. On its own, it's like an incredibly like jarring scene. Oh, absolutely. But you see that and go, okay, well, she's possessed. And then we're like, okay, the next scene is, or we're, we're trying to hypnotize her, try to figure out what's going on. But right. The- and I guess if the director put that scene in later, it may have worked somewhere, but I, I think he just trusted himself of just like, you know what, I'll leave this out. I think if they put it after the hypnotist scene, then it would probably have fit better. After that, there's not much like medical stuff that they look at. They, they're they just like, well, maybe maybe it's we, we better call a priest. Right, right. So that when, as you said, Reagan sees a, I think it's supposed to be a psychiatrist who's hypnotizing her. And he asks the person inside Reagan to come forward, trying to basically take the, the this could be multiple personalities or something like that. And she contorts her face, Reagan does. And we see this briefly, this demon that Kara saw in his dream, sort of like over her face. And she assaults the hypnotist by grabbing his crotch and she has to be wrestled off of him. And then later, Damien uh, is doing laps around the track or a track. And a man, a detective who might as well be Columbo, uh, <laughs> he, like he's, he's how how great would this be if this were Peter Falk? Like not that. Uh, I it mean, looks I'm, like him. I mean, it did. I mean, Lee J. Cobb, great actor, has been in some truly legendary movies, including this one. But th- this character, and honestly, I don't know when Columbo came out. It may have been before. But I thought, like, oh, this is Columbo talking to Rocky. And I thought about it. I was like, oh, this came out three years before Rocky. So Sly Stallone maybe, uh, maybe stole, uh, <laughs> stole Father Karras' look from this scene. Anyway, this, this uh, detective introduced himself as, as Kinderman. And he's asking about Burke's death and whether or not the Karras thinks that the desecration of the Mary statue might have something to do with, which, with 
witchcraft. Yeah, he he tells Kinderman does. He tells Karis that Burke was actually murdered, and that Kinderman's instincts are telling him that the two incidents are are related somehow. The uh, do we Rick? Do we think do we think Burke like molested her or something? No, I don't think so. That's what me and Gia thought. We were like, why was he in her bedroom? That makes no fucking sense. I think probably she made a noise. Yeah, but it's not his thing to go up. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like maybe, maybe I just, he was Honestly, kind of a weird dude. I don't know. He was a weird dude, but I didn't get like molesty. That would kind of come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, I thought so too. It was just one of those things where I was like, I, they didn't explain this. He went upstairs. He was in her bedroom, knowing she was ill. He's not a family member. And then he, you know what I mean? It's just kind of well, sketchy, you know? Well, we also know that the demon can speak in voices that other people would recognize. Right. So he very well could have been, you know, we know Burke was a drunk. So Burke was probably like shit faced. And all of a sudden he heard the voice of his dead grandmother. And, mm-hmm. you know, up he goes, what, Nana, what's going on? And then the demon's there and fucking tosses him out the window. Kidderman at this point, is, like we said, he's, he's thinking these two incidents are related. Maybe there's some kind of cult situation happening. And he's talking to Karis because he's, yeah, if there's any crazy religious person on campus, he's going to know. And then he makes a joke where he invites Karis to a movie where it's, it's I don't know, this this joke doesn't really land, but. You know, come come see Othello starring uh, you know, Lucille Ball and uh, and Groucho Marx. Yeah, I was like, what? Is he trying to yeah. make a joke here? Yeah. <laughs> so then we're going to, and we see Chris, and she's surrounded by a room full of doctors. And this is where it hits again, where it's like, this is, as well as a story of possession, this is a story very much of the haves and the have-nots. Because just contrast this scene where there's so many doctors surrounding Chris and then contrast it with the scene with Karis's mother where it's just like, there's like one like orderly who's just like, yeah, go in there. She's last on the left and like a bunch of patients like surround him. It's very much they're hammering home. You know, this is, a rich person problem and a poor person problem. All these doctors, they're saying that it's possible that Reagan has deluded herself into believing she was possessed. And Chris is saying, I'm not going to put Reagan in the institution. The original doctor that we've seen through the whole movie suggests an outside shot, a Hail Mary, if you will. They try an exorcism. And it may shock Reagan back into mental health. And Chris is, at first unimpressed with the suggestion and she goes home and kinderman is sort of lurking at the bottom of these the stairs and he finds like a, a clay sculpture that a child would make and chris finds a crucifix under reagan's pillow and all the the help denies putting it there kinderman deduces that you know kinderman goes in and he's talks to chris and basically he's he's deduced that the only way someone's neck could have been so thoroughly broken as Burke's would be if he were thrown from Reagan's window already with a broken neck. 
So he's talking to Chris and he finds another clay sculpture like he did at the bottom of the stairs and he explains his theory to her and he asks her for an autograph. My, my question, do you think Kinderman, I feel like Kinderman's instincts are telling him this little girl killed this man, but he just can't, his logical brain can't explain it. Right, right. There's definitely conflict in his head, but I think that's where his brain's at. Yeah, like he figures it out almost immediately, not like the demon stuff, but he's like, the only thing that makes sense is this girl killed her, but that doesn't make sense. Right. Which is why he just keeps lurking around. So Kinderman leaves, and Chris locks the door behind him, and she's now suspecting Reagan is the murderer. And there's noise from Reagan's room. And Chris rushes up, and she sees items floating around the room. And Ma- Reagan is, is masturbating with the crucifix. Right. And Reagan pulls up, you know, pulls Chris sort of into her crotch and throws her across the room. And the door seems to slam on its own, and Sharon rushes to help. A dresser slides across the floor towards Chris. Reagan's head turns all the way around, and she speaks in an unnatural-sounding voice with a British accent. Yep. What does she say specifically? You see what she did? Your cunt daughter? I think it was. I thought thought he said your cunting daughter. Like like, 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 like it was a verb? Yep, your cunting (laughs) daughter. Later on, we see Karis and he's walking the streets and he goes to a woman. And this is the first time he's meeting Chris. We're basically almost in the third act of the movie at this point. Um, Part, at least well into the second act. And Chris is... You know, she's got sunglasses on. She's clearly got like a big black eye. And they're walking, they're talking, and she stops him dead in his tracks when she mentions the words exorcism. And she believes that Reagan might be possessed. And Karis is trying to talk her out of it, but she begs. And he finally relents and he goes and, and meets with her. Meets with meets with Reagan. And at this point, every time we see Reagan, it just gets a little bit worse and a yep. little bit worse. And the room seems a little bit colder and darker. And yeah, it's, it's just very effective. The atmosphere at this point through the, through the movie. Uh, I, I actually went to Halloween horror nights a few years ago down in Orlando at universal studios and they had an exorcist haunted house. And that's amazing. Yeah. And it, the, the way it was set up essentially is, Every room you went into in the haunted house, it was the bedroom, almost. Every room you went into was the bedroom, but Reagan was doing something else. Like the actress playing Reagan was doing something else. Either like, it was either like a doll going up and down or like, you know, an actress yelling at you. There were like faces popping out of the wall. It was really good. The atmosphere was so strong in this movie that you just felt it in the haunted house as well. It was, it was really incredible. But it's really cool. Yeah. But Karis is, you know, introducing himself to Reagan and in that now sort of iconic demon voice, she says, you know, that she's the devil. And Damien says, Well, if you're the devil, you want to be under your straps. That would be a too vulgar display of her power. But uh Damien turns his head away for a moment and she starts speaking of the voice of the homeless man that he that he heard from earlier when he was visiting his mother. And Karis says, Well, if you know, if you really were the devil, you'd know my mother's maiden name. And then she responds by vomiting very famously pea soup into his face. Yep. So Karis goes downstairs 
has his clothes washed. And he's explaining to Chris that there is not enough evidence at this point to present to the church to do an official exorcism. Chris is saying, yeah, this is absolutely not my daughter. This is uh, – yeah, this is – she would know her daughter, and this is not it. And the only thing really give me, giving Damien pause at this point is that voice. Could Reagan have known that his mother died recently? He asked Chris, and Chris says no. She, she didn't mention it. Kinderman is watching Karis leave the house, and he looks up to to Reagan's window. Then he sees a figure moving across the room, a shadow. But Reagan was strapped down, so how could it be her? Right. So later on, Damien's listening to recordings of Reagan's voice, and he, he can't her voice is just a normal girl, and he, he can't reconcile it with the demonic voice here in the bedroom. And he's giving mass, and we hard cut back to Damien, to Reagan's room. What an excellent day for an exorcism, says Reagan. And he sets up recording equipment. Reagan opens a drawer with her mind. And Karis attempts to get her to speak Latin, but she doesn't. He sprinkles her what he tells her is holy water. Turns out it was just tap water. And she begins to wail in a language he doesn't understand. And Chris shares with Karis that, you know, her theory that, that Reagan was the one that inverted Burke. Karis takes his recording to an audio expert at the, at the college. And he finds the mystery language is actually English, but backwards. We hear what she's saying. We hear the demon scream Marin and it's anguish cries. So Sharon actually covertly, brings Damien into Reagan's room and reveals the, their stomach. And there appears to be a scar, like scratches on her stomach, just reading the words, help me. And this so, is... So do, do you think, so I mean, I'm assuming that Reagan kind of like was able to do that? Yes, I think so. Because she was, the, I mean, the demon was asleep at this point, but the, it, that, that's the thing, like with the, with the, what the demon says and, and Marin says this later in the movie. It's like, yeah, it, it can lie, but it can also mix lies with the truth. And at some point, the demon, I think when asked, like, where's Reagan, says, oh, she's in here with us. Right. So she's still somehow, her spirit is still in there. You know, at, at this point, though, that those scratches, that's enough to to convince Karis that we need to bring this to the church elders, it appears. And those, those elders decide that Marin, the priest from the beginning of the movie in Iraq, would be the exorcist and Karis would assist him in it. And we see a shot of the demon and it senses Marin approaching its enemy. And he pulls, Marin does, up to, this, up to the house. And it's a foggy night. And it's just that iconic poster shot of him standing and looking through the fog up at the window. And he knows that his enemy is in there. So the two priests meet and Marin is all business. And the tension in the house is just thick. Marin is doing rosary. Chris is serving coffee. The priests prep for the ritual. And, Marin says, like we said, the demon will lie, mix lies with the truth, and psychologically attack them. So the, the ritual begins. And for this part, is it just incredibly intense throughout. So I'm just going to briefly 
almost like a play by play because this scene, me explaining it is not going to do it justice. The ritual begins and the, the demon curses at them and they, the priests say the Lord's prayer and the demon spits wails, makes vulgar moans and noises. It insults Karis's faith. They pray over and the bed shakes. They pray harder. The bed raises from the floor. It floats in the air. Damien is shook. The demon flicks its tongue at them. Vomit oozes out of its mouth. It cackles as they, they wash up. Marin coughs, weakened by the exertion. The demon's head does a complete 360. It continues to taunt them. The straps rip and the demon raises into the air on its own. The power of Christ compels them as they spray it and sprinkle it with holy water. And Karis reties her hands, but it hits them and throws them both to the ground. Marin sees the statue. It's an image of the demon statue they saw earlier in Iraq. And he, he prays. And they cover the demon with a blanket and they, they break and they sit exhausted on the stairs outside the room. Marin goes to the bathroom and, and, and takes some pills. Karis goes to the bedroom and sees his mother, hallucination of his mother. And then he sees the demon. The demon is speaking with his mother's voice. Marin sends him away as he's completely shaken by the demon's tactics. Karis speaks with Chris, who asks whether or not Reagan's going to die. Resolved, Damien says no and, and goes back to the room. Kinderman arrives at the door. Marin is dead, slumped over the bed. Reagan is sitting up, having undone her straps, laughing as Karis tries to revive uh, his fellow priest. Damien grabs her and hits her, demanding the demon take him instead. Leave the girl alone. The demon tr- rips off a protective necklace or like a some kind of pendant I believe his mother had given him. Rips it off and the demon goes into Karis' body. But Karis, his faith restored, is able to resist and he jumps out the window, killing himself in the process and killing the demon in the process as well. Chris and Kinderman burst into the room and they see the scene of the dying girl, the dead priest, the broken window. And Kinderman, confused. He didn't have that final piece to put it all together. Father Dyer finds Damien's body at the bottom of the stairs and, and takes his final confession. Later, Chris and Reagan are moving from the house. Sharon is leaving the family. You know, too scarred by the incident to uh, to stay with them. Dyer approaches them, and Chris tells him that Reagan doesn't remember anything, but the girl seems to react pretty strongly when she sees his collar. Gives him a hug before they drive away. Chris tries to give Dyer the necklace that the demon had ripped off, but Dyer says Chris should keep it because it did seem to serve as some sort of protection. And we see the boarded up window, and. Dyer looks at the stairs where his friend had just died. And Kinderman shows up looking for the, the McNeils. Kinderman makes that same joke with like a comedian starring in a in a dramatic movie. And the uh, two men walk off to get lunch together. And that's the end of the movie. All right. Did did I miss anything? Is there anything that uh No, I think you I think you got everything. All right. Well, that's what happened. Again, we strongly recommend that you go out and see it. Uh, I, I have a Blu-ray set. Um, not sure if it's streaming. I, it's streaming on, of all places, AMC Plus right now. I just saw on a commercial. So go out there and check it out. It's a really great watch if you haven't seen it. If you're a horror fan, what are you, what are you even thinking if you haven't seen this movie yet? Right. So let's, let's talk about the movie. 
And let's sort of break it down a little bit more, more so than just what happens. And we like to do that. We start that out every week when we talk about our favorite and least favorite thing in the movie. So Derek, let's, uh, let's start with you. What is your favorite thing about The Exorcist? My favorite thing is, it's sort of a strange thing. Um, when it comes to horror movies, it, it's almost difficult to, to, I don't know, it's, it's very strange to rank them and, and things like that because they're so different and they can be and it's just what you're looking for. But for me, I felt like the best thing that it did was it didn't overwhelm you with an array of horror moments that, that just overdo it for you. Like, I felt like there was a good balance of scary moments and it wasn't like, Oh my God, here's an hour and a half of just a, a just yeah. a messy mess of horror images. It was, it took its time. Yeah. It did its thing. It built it up. It did the right things. Um, there's a lot of horror movies out there that just want to shock you and just want to shock you. And it, there's no substance to it. This gets under your skin and it, it builds. Does. Like we said, there's not a thing. lot of, there's not a lot of jump scares in this. It's all escalation. Right. And the ec- this, the scene of the actual exorcism is so intense. The words are not going to do it justice. Right. It, it, it's just a feeling you have. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and not to, not to give another, re- another thing, but another thing, it, it's just, like you said, it can't be made, this t- it can't be made today. I don't think, I think the early seventies, the graininess of it, the way yeah. it was shot. Um, it's just, it's, I like eerie movies. You can see, you can even see like movies like the witch. They, they, yeah. they, they, they try to do what the exes did. They, they want that slow burn. Um, and I like the slow burn. I think it's effective. And I think the, the exorcist is at the best. Yeah. My, my favorite thing is, so I have two, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a Derek here. I'm going to cheat on this one. <laughs> I'm uh, cheating. <laughs> so I have two. Uh, one is the atmosphere, just the general atmosphere that we talked about a little bit earlier, where every time you go into the room, it's a little bit worse and it's a little bit darker and colder and, little bit more brutal and Reagan looks just a little bit worse every time and the other thing I had was actually the editing as the characters get closer to to meeting Karis and the McNeils when it cuts to their scenes a little bit of the sound bleeds over and you can tell like I said earlier that all these characters, this is the same situation. They're all mixed up in each other's business without even knowing it yet. So, I mean, those two things I just really liked. They really jumped out at me. And this one, this next one is tough for me, but let's talk about what you found, Derek. What was your least favorite thing? This was in- incredibly tough for me, too. So It's a solid uh, movie all around. Even the worst really parts is. of the movie are not bad. Right. And, and, and then, like I said, you know, we, we, we already stopped that I cheat a lot. So this might be a little bit of a cop out, but it's tough. It's a tough to find a bad thing yeah. about this movie. And I think the thing that I did say was that I don't think it did the best job setting up sequels. And I know that, like I said, this might be a kind of a cop out, but the second movie was so bad and they could have made it. I, I, I'm not sure. Maybe a lot of movies aren't sure if they're going to make a second one. Like the producers are like, should we do it? Uh, maybe it's a conversation they have afterwards, but I know that like, if you, if you got something good, Maybe try to think that if you're going to make a sequel, just maybe add some stuff in the first one just to set up a sequel better. Um, you know, they got rid of all these characters in the first one, you know, and I know they had yeah. to because it was the way the story was. But the second one was just you go from one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion, to one of the worst movies ever made. And yeah. it's just it's a sin. 
Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, well, if, if you don't know, like the, for, for those of you listening that don't know, the, the second one follows like an older Reagan who's in, she's working in like, what's it like a psychiatric, some, some kind of hospital. Yeah. But there's just not much that happens. It's, yeah, it's, so it's, 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 it's almost, yeah, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. It's all about like the brain and, 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 and I can't even explain it. It's just weird and it's not well done. And the acting is very poor in it. Yeah, no, it's, it's not good at all. Um, the, the third one is, it actually is follows like Father Karras's body was like an empty shell and it was possessed by another being similar to like insidious, like the demons are all trying to get this kid's body when it's like the soul is out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's, I mean, it's, it's a, the third was a lot better movie, but yeah, it's the, the only way to have done a sequel to this. I feel would be to just do it, just do it as like almost like an anthology. Just have it about another possession. Another, right. I mean, even then, it's just like it's going to be the same, but not as good. So it's a tough movie to do a sequel with. I agree. My least favorite thing is really not even for the movie itself, and it's something we mentioned a little bit earlier. We kind of joked about it. Is just the the priest stuff from years late, decades later. Right. You know, every every time I see like you know, a priest near a kid, I'm just I get naturally nervous now. Unfortunately. Right, anyway, right. As someone who was raised Catholic, it's very, very unfortunate. Uh, but for sure, for sure, it is what it is. Yeah. So another thing, like we like to do each week, is we like to reward the people who have really made this movie better, and or or use the movie to enhance their own careers, or you know, really just excel the most. And we like to do that in the form of a bronze, silver, and gold medal, Derek. Who is your bronze medal winner? All right. So my bronze medal winner goes to Mercedes McCambridge. Um, and she is the one who does the voice of the demon. Okay. Um, I picked her uh, because I did some research. Number one, I thought her, her work was very uncomfortable. That's the one word I came up with. Not petrifying, mm-hmm. not scary. And it was just uncomfortable. And I think that's what the director wanted. Because uh, you could have redone it as, as many times as you wanted to. And I did read that he actually got this actress, Mercedes, and he tied her down to a chair. And he wanted her, he wanted her to feel like she was actually having an exorcism done on her. And she had to go through that. And I know it's probably kind of crazy and it's, it could be torture to do that as an actor, but I give her props. I think that was really good. And she, at first, (laughs) I will say that I read that she didn't want any credit for this. She wanted it to, to, she wanted it to seem like Linda Blair was doing all the work. Then when the movie came out and it did really successful, she was like, forget all that. I want to be known for this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So that was kind of funny. So my bronze goes to her. Yeah. Worthy, uh, worthy winner there. Uh, I, for my bronze went uh, with the other half of that, uh, that character. I, I went with Linda Blair. She sort of becomes a household name when you say Linda Blair to a lot of people, it's synonymous with the actress in the exorcist and the, the physical performance is, is great. You know, she goes from just a normal, innocent 13 year old girl to a demon and you, you buy it. And the voice is a big part of that certainly, but she's, she, she's there, she's in the makeup and she's, she's given that creepy performance. She's also 
nominated for an Oscar at the age of 15. So can't really argue with that too much. Uh, let's move on to silver. Derek, who's your silver medal, medal winner? All right. My silver goes to the director, William Friedkin. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he did a great job putting together this work. Um, he's uh, it, it, It's definitely a difficult thing to to try to make not cheesy. Um, he had the tough job of taking the story and making it something, you know, how do you, I mean, I'm not a director, so I can't speak on that, but I just feel like as a human being, how do you take a project like that? That's so intense and, and, yeah. you know, and not kind of screwed up a little bit. And I think he did a great job with just piecing everything together. So he yeah. gets my silver. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's very, very tough. I mean, it was a very popular book before it was adapted. So it was, it was definitely right. a big project for him. Uh, my silver went to Jason Miller, uh, who played Father Karras. And this is his first movie. Primarily, his career was a was a playwright before this. And to me, it's just, the, I just have it noted as a haunting and haunted role, mm-hmm. that character. He's, he's nominated for Best Supporting Actor Oscar as well, his first movie. So it just to me, he is, he's excellent in the movie. I mean, he's 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 really great. So, silver medal, Derek. Let's move on to gold. Who do you have as your gold medal? All winner? right, my gold medal goes to the writer uh, of the story and the screenplay, William Peter Blatty. Um, I think his his brain, his process of everything. It just, I mean, I, I hate to be the cop out guy who just. I know the last thing we did, I said Quentin Tarantino, the writer, director. Sure. But when, when it comes to these movies, Pulp Fiction, The Exorcist, they're very like specific things. And they're not broad. They're very specific. And I just think that this guy sat down and, and, and wrote an incredible story. And, and I know he worked pretty closely with William Friedkin. And it, they had their disagreements. They had their agreements. They, he wanted the director out. He wanted him in. He's a very passionate man. And I think that uh, his story is really special. So I, I think he deserves the, uh, the props for this one. Yeah, absolutely. Great choice there. Uh, I am going to give my gold to your silver medal winner, William Friedkin, uh, just to reiterate everything that, that you said. And he's just got an incredible command of atmosphere throughout. We talked about that before. This movie could have gone off the rails pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you can see by the the, the sequels. You know, there's one pretty good one and the rest are terrible. So it, yeah. it, I think it really comes down to him because at this point, this is a director, his movie right before this was the French connection, another great movie. So that's, I mean, one of the great back-to-back movies, you know, two movies ever made by a director. And he, he gets a best director nomination for, for, for the Oscars as well. So, yeah, this this movie, and we'll go over the Oscars in a, in a few minutes. A lot of nominations, but uh, the, yeah, that's definitely one of the big ones. And yeah, he, he did a tremendous job. So, congratulations, Mister uh, Mister uh, Friedkin and Blatty, for your gold medals. Enjoy from either Beyond <laughs> the Grave or if you're alive, I don't know. It's Halloween. You can probably see us now. Anyway, another thing that we like to do every episode is we like to. I mean, we can agree. Only one movie can be the greatest movie of all time. It's just math. Only one. But I think we can also say that every movie in its own way does one thing, at least one thing, better than every other movie. Derek, what does The Exorcist do better 
than any other movie? Well, you know, this is a personal thing. And I, I mentioned this before. And like I said, whether you're not religious, whether you are religious, whether you anything, it is, I don't even think it really matters. Um, I, I don't even, you know, I say it just to say it, but it's just that movie. I don't think there's any other movie that just got under my skin as much as this one, as far as just um, disturbing scenes and just makes you feel, it just makes you feel odd. And it's, it's, you know, I, I've, I've, you know, I'm a guy, I'm 33 and, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, I don't get afraid of things. Cause I absolutely do. I'm scared of a lot of things. And one of the things sometimes when I'm already, when I'm already kind of nervous, for some reason, my brain likes to go and, and tell me other things that I'm scared of for some reason. I'm like, I'm already, I'm already afraid of this one thing. Let me just think of the exorcist now in the middle of the night. And the exorcist is always like the, the, uh, the cherry on top for me. I'm like, I don't want to think of her head turning around 180 degrees and saying what she said. I don't want to think of that right now. Why is my brain going there? It sticks with you and it gets under your skin. And I don't yeah. think any other movie I've ever seen has done that. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've got two. And, uh, and there, there are a couple of things I think this movie does better than, than in any other movie. And I would say that this is the best movie about possession, demonic possession. Mm-hmm. Like we said, the sequels are bad. There's a few good ones out there, but none of them even measure up to this a little bit. Can I get there? And I would say also, this is the best Catholic movie ever made. It, it really is. You mentioned the witch a little bit earlier and the witch is a great movie, but it works the best. I think when you look at it as a horror movie designed specifically to scare someone who lived in that time, in the same way, The Exorcist is a movie, a horror movie designed specifically to scare Catholics, <laughs> right? Like I said, and that's, it's so entrenched in that, in that world. You know, the, the priests are the heroes and whether or not you're good or bad, you're, you know, bad things are going to happen. Demon's going to get you unless you call on the power of God. And specifically through a Catholic priest. So, and I mean, it's a great movie. Whether or not you're Catholic, go go see it. But it, it works best when you look at it that way, I think. We've talked about what we like the best. But uh, every year, of course, the Hollywood bigwigs decide what is the best movie of that year with, uh, with the Oscars. And The Exorcist, it won two Oscars. Best Adapted Screenplay, and Best Sound. And I would say it's pretty deserving of both. Can't argue with those too much. But it was nominated for quite a few more. Uh, It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Art Direction, Cinematography, and Editing. It was not nominated for Score. I think that is kind of a shame because it has such a great, iconic theme right i just i i don't know if it was original to the movie that's the only thing i can think of to that it it wasn't nominated because the the winner for score that year the sting and that's i mean that's marvin hamlish sure that's we're going to be talking about the sting a lot because it uh, it was the, it was a powerhouse that year but let's go through the major awards and we can decide you know, maybe 
an actor should or should not have been nominated or you know maybe it should have won or let's let's go through it so the big one let's start with best picture the exorcist nominated does not win the sting wins other nominees american graffiti cries and whispers and a touch of class i mean the sting is considered a a good movie you know there's maybe even a classic but does that movie have the same shelf life looking back in retrospect that the exorcist does i don't know it's tough Uh, i don't know it's it's so easy for it i mean it's it's hard to say what do you think i i mean the sting's a very good movie and you know it's paul newman it's robert redford it's robert shaw oh wow it's a great cast but now i mean this was 73 47 years later the exorcist lives on more so i think than the sting does and more so than american graffiti does which is the other one that that i've seen so i i would say give it to the exorcist personally uh Best uh, best director, similar story. George Roy Hill wins for directing this thing. The other nominees, William Friedkin for The Exorcist. George Lucas, the only best director nomination that he will ever get for American Graffiti. Ingmar Bergman for Cries and Whispers. And Bernardo Bertolucci for The Last Tango in Paris. But anyway, similar story to Best Picture. Uh, I think I'd give it to Friedkin. Like I said, his, his command of atmosphere. You know, the images that he creates and composes in this movie have sort of lived forever. And Sting, again, good movie, boarding on great movie. I think I'd give it to The Exorcist. Uh, best Actor, there's really not anyone that I would nominate considering Jason Miller to go for supporting uh, best actress Glenda Jackson wins for a touch of class Ellen Burstyn is nominated for Lane Chris uh, Marsha Mason for Cinderella Liberty Barbara Streisand who apparently around this time was just a critical darling in the way we were and Joanne Woodward for summer wishes winter dreams I've not seen any of these movies other than the exorcist but did Ellen Burstyn none of us neither of us gave her a medal and she's in this movie a lot what what do you think of her performance she's good she's good i think that she did a good job um i agree she's fine and i mean that legitimately like she's not she didn't jump out at me really right me neither i mean and and i'm gonna be completely honest with you when i say this is that none of the actors in the movie really we're, we're just, oh my God, just dropped that amazing. I just felt like any of them could have been, could have been replaced by somebody else who's in Hollywood or whatever. And that's just my personal opinion. And, sure. but I think they did a good job. I think yeah. they, did, they, did, they did their roles well. Supporting actor. John Houseman wins for The Paper Chase. Vincent Gardenia for Bang the Drum Slowly. Jack Guilford for Save the Tiger. Jason Miller as Karras. And, ready for this one, Randy Quaid is nominated <laughs> for Best Supporting Actor for a movie called The Last Detail. Wow. Okay. I mean, 
as hilarious as it would be to have Randy, to really sit here and be like, Randy Quaid should have gotten an Oscar. I mean, Jason Miller was very good. I gave him my silver. I don't know if I'm, I've not seen any of the other movies here. So I'm not super comfortable saying Jason Miller should win. But I think, I mean, I'm, I'm higher on the performance than you are. Right, right. But I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stump for it too hard. When we when right. yeah, you know, when we get to these other movies, as we are going to watch every movie ever made, when we get to these other movies, we uh, may have uh, or another movie from from '73, we may have a uh, a different conversation. Uh, supporting actress. How about this? Two children nominated for supporting actress. Kind of wild. Uh, Tatum O'Neill wins at ten years old, best supporting actress for Paper Moon. Linda Blair is nominated for The Exorcist. Linda Blair, not the youngest nominee that year, which is wild. She's 15. Uh, mm-hmm. Candy Clark in American Graffiti. Madeline Kahn uh, for Paper Moon. Sylvia Sidney for Summer Wishes, Winter Dreams. I do love Madeline Kahn, but I haven't seen that movie. She's great. She's great. I, you know, it, yeah, when we get to that movie as well, we'll have a different conversation because she's it's the same movie as Tatum O'Neill won for, so uh, interesting there. But uh, again, Linda Blair, it's not the entire performance. It, it, it almost is the opposite of the conversation we had about The Lion King, where, I mean, she her voice is in the movie, but her most memorable moments are not her voice. Yeah, so it's not, if we are not, and, and we've decided, I feel like, that voice actors should not be in contention with actors who make the you know who have a complete performance it's kind of the same thing i don't think this is completely her so i she's great at what she did don't get me wrong but if we're going to be consistent i don't think she should be nominated i agree with you there's <laughs> nothing i can really say about it. i mean i like i said i i don't know i i i i think she didn't do everything in that role yeah that's my problem yeah, and I'm I'm probably being stingy, but you know I want to see a little girl who could do it all. <laughs> that girl needs to make her own demon voice sound <laughs> like an adult, and also Dakota the voice Fanning. of a British I don't man. Think, I don't think Dakota Fanning could have done that either. G, sorry. Maybe Elle Fanning could have done it. Elle Fanning, yeah, totally. Both all right, let's let's play, let's play let's play that game because you you brought it up last week. If you today, because this is far enough away, if you today. And this is this is sort of off the cuff, so if you don't have an answer, that's fine. If you today had to remake The Exorcist, who? I mean, do you have anyone you put in these roles? Well, here's the thing. Number one, I like to think of myself as a, a movie buff in a lot of ways, yeah. but I don't know everything. I don't. I don't know a sure. lot of child actors nowadays. Um, I don't even. The one that I could think of was the shining star in a movie recently, um, and that was um, the girl who played Bev in the new It movie. I thought she was incredible in the movie. I thought she was the best in that movie. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see what else she can do. I don't know if she'd be able to do this part specifically, but I, like I said, I don't know a lot of child actors, so I, 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 she might be too old for this role now anyway. I think, yeah, I think she's a little too old. I might put the girl who was in, she may be a little too old, but you, she looks young. The girl who was in Hereditary. Do you see Hereditary? Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, the only thing is, though, she already looks like she's possessed. She's yeah, she has that unique look. <laughs> I think she yeah. could, yeah. But she she was in a, a TV show I watched uh, recently, 
she she's bordering if if they're gonna do it they have to do it like now with her but right. she's she she does normal very well too uh mm-hmm. her name is elsie fisher mm-hmm. so i'd i'd go with her who would you who would you do who's the old man actor you do as as, as father Marin? that's the other one <laughs> we won't spend too much time but let's do father Mar- the other side of the spectrum on there father Marin, huh um, I mean, uh, God, I keep coming to a name. What's the but name? He he's already done this sort of. Uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins. Okay. Um. See, here's he, I, I've seen the ritual, so I, I know he's done something yeah. similar. So, I've got a name. I don't, I don't know how well it'll go over, but it'd be interesting to see his take. Pacino. Wasn't he up for one of the roles? I thought he was up for the. Uh, Father Car- uh, Father Karras, I thought. Maybe was he? I don't. I, thought, I don't know. I, I didn't. I, I didn't look into that. I don't look into those sort of things coming into this because I, I, I don't want to picture other unless I already know it just offhand. I don't want to picture right. other people in the role and look at the movie as it as it was. But if that's true, I mean, he would have been. I mean, this was his like seventy three was like his apex as an actor, you know. Right. So like as far as skill goes, so I don't know. But I think him coming in and doing the because. Marin's not in the movie a whole lot. It makes an impact. Right. You know, I, I considered him for for a medal. He makes a huge impact in very short, very short screen time. But right. if if Pacino comes in, and let's say if, if I mean they wouldn't be able to do it really just the way movies work at this point, but let's say if it was completely understated and the Pacino comes in, he's like, hoo let's get this demon out of here. It'd be fucking incredible. So what, what Alec Baldwin says is that he, Al Pacino used to sound like that. Now he just has a Southern drawl for some reason. <laughs> he's just like, I do declare. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get this demon on out of here. It's just fog yeah, on like horn. He's like, for some, yeah, that's exactly what Alec Baldwin says. He says, <laughs> fog on like horn. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think he I think he could do it, but Derek, that brings us to my favorite part of the podcast and your favorite part of the podcast, the most no, important not. part of the podcast, and that's when we ask you to make a case in thirty seconds that this is the greatest movie of all time. So Derek, when I say go, you tell us. Why the Exorcist is the greatest movie of all time in 30 seconds. Ready, set, go. There will be no film on this planet that will that will make you that will affect you so strangely as this movie. If you put it on pitch black at night, get some popcorn, shut the lights off, turn that on. You tell me any of the movie that can do what that movie does. I guarantee you won't. Finn. All right, you did it in twenty five point nine seconds. So I went for the job. slow approach rather than the you fast did. approach. Yep. I don't want to spew out a bunch of words. Tell us tell us what five tool player that this is most like. <laughs> <laughs> this, so the exorcist for me is really Albert Bell. Yeah. Albert Bell. <laughs> Retired very young, but man, he had it all. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> Okay, so we've uh, we've talked about the actors. We've gone over what we think. Let us know what you think. Is is this the greatest movie of all time? Is it completely overrated? Is it is it trash? 
Let us know. We have our opinions. <laughs> always, you have yours. It's always, is it trash? Is it trash? It can be nowhere in between. It's either a masterpiece or it's utter garbage. So let us know what you think. No, I'm kidding. So, but no, we are, we are definitely always looking for the, you know, your feedback and you can, you know, find us and let us know. We're at great movie cast on Twitter. We are, you know, find us on Facebook. We're the, the greatest movie of all time podcast, or just send us an email. You got great movie pod uh, at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear from you. You can yeah, do us a favor also and subscribe on your favorite uh, podcast app. Mm-hmm. I myself use podcast addict, uh, but we're on Apple podcasts. We are on Spotify. We are on Google podcasts. We are on every, pretty much every single one. So that would really help us uh, if you were to uh, subscribe and uh, we'll get the, be the first to get the, uh, the podcast here uh, every episode that comes out. So we'd really appreciate that. And if uh, you could rate and review us, if your app uh, or service allows you to do that, that would be incredibly helpful as well. So please get in touch with us and help us out. So that does it for this week's episode. Next week, we are going to have a guest. Yep. Yep. And that guest is going to be a friend of the show, Cameron Pond, a.k.a. the Internet Warlord. I don't think he uses that name anymore, but you know what? I'm using it. But he's going to be on, and he has chosen the movie for next week. What movie has Cam chosen? There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood. That's right. The 2008, I believe, modern classic with uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in the, in the main power. That's going to be quite the episode. And, you know, I'm sure that uh, Cam will have a lot to say about that. So as he does with pretty much everything. So, <laughs> so we'll see you next time. I have been your co-host, Rick Barrasso. And I have been your co-host, Derek Smith. Keep watching everybody and happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs>